Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Olson, and today I'm sharing with you an interview that I did with Brad Kearns, who is host of the Primal Endurance podcast. I'm going to be posting this interview to both Paleo Runner podcast and my new podcast, Low Mileage Running. And you can find Low Mileage Running podcast if you by searching iTunes uh, or going to lowmileagerunning.com. You'll find links to the podcast. And the new podcast is going to be uh, focused primarily on training uh, using a lower volume approach. There's also a video uh, feed to that podcast, and you can subscribe to that through iTunes or you can check out it on YouTube. Um, so this interview uh, is done with Brad Kearns, and we go over a lot of the topics in the book, and I hope it gives you a better idea of what the book is all about and if it would bring value to you. Uh, the book has recently been released on Audible, and so you can listen to the book. It's about 36 minutes long. Actually, it's exactly 36 minutes, and uh, it's a quick listen. Listen to it on one of your runs and uh, leave me a review. That would really help me out. I'd like to hear your feedback. And it also helps me out uh, with sales. Uh, getting those reviews helps out a lot and allows other people to get value from the book as well. Um, the book is out on Amazon as well as print, Amazon Kindle as well as print. You can find out more about the, the book by going to lowmileagerunning.com and subscribing to the podcast, Low Mileage Running, or checking out the YouTube channel. So up next is my interview with Brad Kearns of Primal Endurance Podcast. I hope you like it. Welcome, listeners. This is host Brad Kearns with a very special guest. And you might recognize his name, Aaron Olson, because he has his own super awesome, very popular podcast called Paleo Runner. I've listened to many shows, and he's got his uh, finger right on the cutting edge of everything that's going on, not only in the endurance scene, but also the wonderful blending of the paleo scene with the uh, endurance running scene. So how are you, Aaron? I'm doing great, Brad. It's great to be on the show. And we're talking to you from Backwoods, Minnesota or something? Where do you live? <laughs> uh, White Bear Lake, Minnesota. White Bear Lake. Isn't that where Head Wheels uh, originated? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. Come on, man! Get your get your uh, get your phone book out. I think that's where Steve Head and um, his whole operation originated, and uh, back in the eighties. But oh, wow. White Bear Lake sounds sounds uh, sounds nice and natural and rural. <laughs> it, it's not too rural. It's a suburb of uh, Twin Cities, which okay. is St. Paul and Minneapolis. Um, well, I know you have an exciting new book out with a very compelling title. And we want to talk about that and also talk about some of your podcasting efforts. But tell us about your new book. Yeah, I wrote a book uh, called Low Mileage Running, A Short Guide to Running Faster, Injury-Free. And, um, you know, over the years, I had discovered that as I, well, to start out with, I had had tons of injuries in the past. And over the past three to four years, I really started uh, dropping down my mileage and seeing if I could run the same speeds with less volume in my running. And what I found was that I was able to run just as fast and even faster at times by basically cutting out a lot of the junk mileage, but keeping my quality workouts really high and very intense, giving my body plenty of recovery in between those workouts. And I was able to keep my same speed and in some cases get faster and completely eliminate my injuries. And I, I had done some searching on Amazon and online of other people who had tried this, and I didn't see a, a lot of books out there. There's a few books on low-volume training, but I thought, why not put this in a book format and share it with other people? 
um, and let them know what I'm doing. Um, interesting, especially about the injuries, because most often we read, and I'm not saying I agree with it or that it's even right, but um, you often read that, oh, it's the intensity that leads to the injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you hear that a lot. And that could be true. I'm not sure. In my case, that hasn't been the case because I've kept the intensity high. I do one to two quality workouts per week, which are very specific and based on whatever race I'm trying to uh, perform for. And so I've kept my quality very high because I want to be able to race on the weekends. I want to be able to stay sort of near the front of the pack. And that's fun for me. And so I thought, well, if I just go easy, I'm not going to be able to remain competitive. But what if I kept my quality workouts, kept those tempo runs, those time trials, those interval sessions, but really scaled back on the other workouts and, and, uh, kind of more like a hunter gatherer would where you go out for a really uh intense hunt and then you come back and you rest for a couple of days you eat your kill you don't go out and you hunt this the the mammoth every day uh for long periods of time you you go hard and then you rest and i took that approach to my training and it's really paid off dividends um it, for example i on a higher mileage approach where i was running 50 to 60 miles per week i ran a 118 half marathon which i was happy with but taking a lower mileage approach where I'm running around 20 to 25 miles per week, I ran a 117 half marathon. So, you know, it's been it's been very beneficial to me. I haven't had any injuries except for this past winter. Um, I was out most of the winter because I had a water skiing injury um, in the fall. But other than that, for the past four years, I've been injury free. And it's actually just been a lot more fun to train this way as well. Um, so when you were struggling with injuries before and putting in that high mileage, were you also doing your tempo and intensity workouts in the midst of that high mileage week? Yeah. You know, like a lot of runners, I would, I have a addictive personality. I'm a little bit OCD and I would follow, say something like the Jack Daniels training plan where I had to do three quality workouts per week, my long run, my tempo run, my intervals. And in addition to that, I was told the best way to get fitter in the long run is to keep increasing your volume, keep increasing your mileage. And so I would track my miles very closely. This week I'm doing 40 and then using the 10% rule, keep trying to increase your mileage for that long-term goal of, of increasing your mitochondrial efficiency and things like that. And what I found was, yeah, that worked. That would work for six to eight weeks at a time. And then I'd get another injury. I'd get a stress fracture. I'd get Achilles tendonitis. And then I'd be set back to square one again. And what I found with the new approach that focuses primarily just on those quality workouts is I can still uh, reach those those peak levels, but uh, I have a lot more time and I don't have to deal with the injuries anymore. Yeah, so it sounds like the secret um, is coming from that in- increased rest. Um, we, we know that intensity works and of course you have to you know, put in some hard work to be able to sustain. Um, that's a six-minute mile pace, right? For one seventeen, so right. you got to be you got to be approximating that at some of your workouts and and hitting that that speed and faster, I suppose. Um, but you know, now you're taking talking about putting in off days where you're protecting your immune system and your um, your muscles and joints from breakdown. Exactly, exactly, and and that's. That's just been a huge uh, boon for me. I can still have a lot of fun, um, hit those high-quality uh, workouts because that's where a lot of the fun in training comes in for me is testing myself, 
um, and, you know, going out there and hitting those time trials for those tempo runs and seeing how I can do under different weather conditions or under different humidity, or even I'll take some time trials on trails and things like that over hills. And, uh, but then after that, the key is a lot of runners focus only on the high intensity. And a lot of times they'll do too many of these high intense or quality workouts per week. And I've found that really uh, a key to it is really listening to your body and respecting it and giving it the recovery that it needs. Sometimes I'll only do one quality workout per week if I have a lot of stress in my life at that time. And other times I'll do two. Um, I've found that doing more than two quality workouts for me is too much, but you really need to listen to your body and not follow some rigid schedule that you've planned out uh, months in advance. I've found a much more intuitive approach uh, has been very beneficial to me, and it's it's just made made training a lot more fun. And I I just really wanted to share that with other people. It's it's uh it's not a one size fits all program, but uh, if you if you read the book or you can download it um, on Amazon with your Kindle or print, you can also listen to the book. It's a shorter book, but I just have some some of the basic guidelines that I've used in my training to sort of. Um, you know, hit some of these peak performances and and still have fun at the same time. So, an experienced runner like yourself, who has that history of uh, uh, you know high mileage and and has worked really hard and is now obtaining benefits from uh, you know reducing the training load and, and keeping the intensity there. Um, what about a uh, a novice runner who doesn't have years of base under them? Do you address, uh, is there any different approach they might follow or are we doing the same template where they're, um, I guess, emphasizing more intensity and not worrying about the consistency and the mileage? Um, it's pretty much the same template. I've worked with runners who are just starting out, runners who just want to run a 5K with their wife and kids. And I've used the same template with them. For them, it's a much lower volume. So someone just starting out, I might have running 7 to 10 miles per week where they're doing say a a quality one quality session might be a one mile time trial then come back a couple days later and I'll have them do uh maybe uh four to six half mile intervals if they're training for a 5k with with a one to two minute walk break in between and and uh and then on the in between days they'll be doing uh cross training maybe just some uh 20 minute walk or jog and just taking it easy and then we'll come back and revisit those quality workouts or some similar workouts to that the next week. And it's, uh, it's worked very well so far. Um, yeah, so it's really just scaling it back for depending on your level. Now, I, some of the criticism I've heard is that, well, you've had this long period of running the higher mileage through high school and college. And I, to that, I would say I don't think the high mileage, uh, the past high mileage uh, really helped that much because I would train <laughs> hard for eight weeks and then I'd be sidelined with an injury for four <laughs> weeks. So I'm not sure how much of that really remains in my legs because I was injured so often that I don't know how much benefit it really it really gave me. And, and the idea that it could still stick with me to this day, I think any runner who's been injured for four weeks, you go out and you haven't been running for four weeks, it's almost like you're back at square one. So I know some people have said that, but I'm very skeptical that any of that fitness from running the 50 to 60 mile weeks is still with me. Well, even so, if you're a, a novice runner and you, you don't uh, have the substantial uh, fitness base starting out, then 
you know, your high-intensity workout is not going to look as impressive as an experienced runner. And like you say, doing a one-mile time trial could be, um, you know, a sufficient place to start from um, for, you know, maybe that's the only speed workout they do the entire week as they're as they're building up their running fitness, and maybe that uh, time on the stopwatch is not too impressive by outside observer standards, but it's hard for that person, and it's it's developing those um, you know those anaerobic muscle fibers that that will uh, be used when they're doing uh, high speed racing. Yeah, exactly. I was on a podcast called Back of Pack Endurance a few weeks ago, and these are guys who are a bit heavier and stockier and. Uh, they they typically finish towards the back of the race and they asked me how you know how would this work for a bigger person or someone just starting out like you said and i told them for someone starting out high intensity quality work could even be like a walk jog so you might run that 1 mile time trial or those half mile intervals at at a 12 minute pace which is or 14 minute pace even which is almost a walk but for that person that's very high quality work and the key is to keep revisiting revisiting those workouts. Maybe not every week, but on a regular basis. Keep coming back to those workouts. Keep testing yourself. And um, I found a key for myself is training is training what Tim Noakes calls the central governor, and that's training your mind and body to accept higher levels of discomfort. It's not all just about training the physiology, is what I found. If I can tr- do a workout that gives me the confidence that says yeah, I can run this half marathon or marathon at a certain pace. And if I feel that I can do it, I can usually do it. But if I haven't put in those quality workouts and I haven't given myself that confidence, then I'm probably going to be suffering on race day, not because of the physiology, but because I haven't uh, trained my brain to uh, really give it the confidence to accept high levels of discomfort. So are your uh, sessions calibrated to the pace that you want to run in your goal race so if you're trying to do six minute miles for a half marathon is there some application and i don't know do you describe this in the book for someone that's you know shooting for a certain goal pace how they would do that with a with an intense training session yeah um in the book i recommend running almost all of your quality workouts as fast as possible and that's going to come to a shock to some people but how are you going to know what your goal pace is going to be if you if you don't test yourself on a regular basis? So for, in training for a half marathon, one of my favorite quality workouts is to do an 8 to 10 mile time trial. And I don't go out with a, a preconceived notion of what I should do because it's going to depend on the humidity, on the heat, on how many hills are on that course. I just go out and I say, today I'm going to run as fast as I can and I'm going to push my central governor and tell it that you're going to accept higher levels of pain. Whatever that pain for that day is, that's that's okay because conditions can vary quite a bit. But run, practice testing yourself and pushing yourself to new limits. And uh, some people might think, well, that could lead to injury because you're pushing so hard. But the key is, is take those easy recovery days really easy. Go for a walk. Go for a ten, uh, uh, slow jog for 20 to 30 minutes. And by pushing yourself very hard, but then backing off, you get a lot of the benefits, but with with uh, with none of the injury. So it's kind of that eighty twenty approach uh, taken to your running that I see very helpful. Well, I'm I'm totally supportive of uh, making higher highs and lower lows in your training pattern because I feel like the the biggest mistake that the masses make 
is that striving for consistency, for some reason, it's been battered into the brain of the uh, endurance community that you need to hit blank miles per week. And, and the, the conversations and the, the, the lingo that we use about, um, you know, why does the week come up as a reference point all the time? It's an arbitrary time standard of seven days, which means nothing to uh, the dynamic process of getting fit. So, um, you know, a couple things you mentioned about being more intuitive and letting yourself have those easy days where there's no pressure or, um, you know, preconceived schedule assigning you to run this many miles um, could unlock, you know, greater performance potential on those days when, you feel great, your central governor's ready to go, and you want to do a time trial and, and really uh, push yourself to a high level. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's one of the benefits of taking a more relaxed approach to your training um, is, is that you can calibrate your workouts depending on how you're feeling. Um, last week, I had, I had planned on doing, a, a, I'm training for Twin Cities Marathon, and I was going to do a 13 to 15 mile run. And that day, I just wasn't feeling it. I got to about mile six, and my legs, for some reason, just felt dead. And so I said, you know what? Uh, screw this workout. I'm going to come back and revisit this in a couple days. And I came back uh, a couple days later, and I just killed the workout. So it's you. I, I have found that taking an intuitive approach is going to save you from injuries, but it's also going to let you uh, reach those higher levels of performance and I, after that workout, I had one of the one of the best uh, runners highs that I've had in a while. So, for me, that's that's what it's about is flirting with these sort of extreme limits of performance. Obviously, I'm not an elite athlete or anything, but for me, that workout last week, I hit it hard and I felt great, and and that was sort of a limit experience for me. Uh, so, tell us about your uh, your podcasting efforts. How long you've been doing it, and what's what's the nature of the show, and so forth. Yeah, I started Paleo Runner podcast back in 2012, I believe, and I had just I had gotten really interested in the paleo diet because I had suffered with irritable bowel syndrome for most of my life, and um, I s- tried the paleo diet because I heard that it could help with things like that, and it was just like within two weeks I was uh, normal again, and and I couldn't believe how quickly the paleo diet. Uh, switched around my gut, and it, it, I had never I had gone to doctors before and asked them what what's wrong with me. You know, I, I've got this irritable bowel syndrome. I'm going to the bathroom ten times a day, and they just said it has nothing to do with the food you're eating. Nothing's wrong. You you know, you're just stressed. You have anxiety, something like that. But finally, you know, by at the age of 29, I I found the paleo diet, and it just totally changed my life around, really, and and my running as well. Uh, because if you've got irritable bowel syndrome when you're on a run, it's not going to be a good thing. So I, I decided to start a podcast and interview the experts about it. And then it, it's just kind of taken a life of its own. I've I've talked with Tim Noakes, um, Lauren Cardane, Mark Sisson, um, a lot of the big names in the paleo uh, arena. And it's just been a lot of fun to share those conversations with other people. Um, so what do you think about the the blending of uh, paleo and endurance community. I mean, do you see some some trends happening? Where I mean, we're we're talking about a a carbohydrate dependency scene here, where the athletes have you know put in so many weekly hours of of training, oftentimes chronic pattern training, and that type of behavior 
pretty much has to be fueled by carbohydrate. So it's a little bit of a uneasy match. But as we know from from being deep into it and the, you know, the the low carb and the ketogenic athletes are doing extraordinary things out on the fringes. But what do, what do you think about the the overall patterns like when you show up at the Twin Cities Marathon? Um, well, I would have the the overall pattern is I, I would say that I I've dabbled with the ketogenic approach and that was not working for me at all. Um, I think that there I, I hear from a lot of people that, that try that and then they end up going back and adding some carbs back, some safe carbs like um, sweet potatoes or white rice or even white potatoes. And for me, uh, that's really worked well is adding back in some of those safe starches. Um, I eat lots of fat, um, healthy uh, saturated fats and things like that, but I also get a good mix of carbohydrates in there as well. Um, so I, I think that... Uh, I get a little worried when I hear people cutting out carbs completely because, as uh, Paul Jaminet says, it, carbs can be used for extracellular matrix in your body. They can be used. Uh, we have over 2,000 glycoproteins in our body, which go to make things like cartilage and uh, other extracellular matrix in our body. So I've found that a range of around 150 grams of carbs a day is a good spot for me, but I don't monitor it too closely. Um, what have you found, Brad, with with going too low of carb? Is is that working for you? Well, one interesting thing that comes up is obviously it's highly individual. So we're taking the position in in our upcoming book, Primal Endurance, that um, I think the first question that anyone should ask when they're delving into this uh, this dilemma of what's the optimal amount of carb intake for to fuel my endurance training, allow me to recover and perform, and also promote health and escape those negative aspects of a pro-inflammatory uh, oxidative damage diet of high carb consumption, um, the first question would be, uh, how's your body composition? Do you carry any excess body fat? And it seems like there's a large number of endurance athletes who are putting in many, many hours of weekly training and by all means should be um, you know, rip city with that kind of devotion to exercise and burning that many calories, but they're carrying excess body fat largely due to their dietary habits. So I think a starting point there is to say, um, you know, what's your body composition like? Where, how far away are you from your goal? And until you're, until you reach that goal, um, you know, it's got to be known, it's got to be admitted by all that the path to that goal is restricting carbohydrates so you can access fat burning, moderate insulin and access fat burning. But once you get into that comfortable body composition range, then it becomes a question of personal preference and seeing that you're making sure you're recovering from your workouts optimally. Um, but what do you think about putting that starting point out there as, as how's, your, how's your body composition? You know, I'm not completely sure about that. I think that could be a good place to start. Um, another aspect I worry about is the gut microflora because our, our gut is also, also nourished the, the mucosal lining by carbohydrates. So I would like to see people not cut back to zero. I know, uh, Tim Noakes is a big fan of cutting way back to around 25 grams a day, but I would, I would guess, uh, people who are overweight are probably in the four to 500 grams a day of carbohydrates. So I would say cut back and try it, see how you feel see how your body's responding. And if, if it responds good, then keep going with it. But uh, I, I get a little bit leery when, uh, when someone goes to extremes. Just based on my experience, I had a lot of uh, 
I had never had bad leg cramps or anything like that. Um, I had, uh, when I went with the ketogenic approach, um, I, I just had some other problems that people probably don't want to hear about on here as far as like uh, constipation and things like that. So, uh, which I think was due to the lack of uh, mucosal, uh, the gut flora being uh, diminished in my gut from the low carb approach. But uh, I, I'd say listen to your body. That's that's the key here. Um, try cutting back. See how you feel. Uh, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to argue with that. And you mentioned um, Paul Gemini's term safe starches, and I think that's important to reflect on when we're talking about tweaking carb intake. I think the major attention should be paid to high nutrient value carbs, and um, I don't think anyone uh, ha- has any. Um, you know, justification for consuming sugar and refined grains and those packaged snack foods and products that are laden with um, other offensive ingredients. But, uh, you know, then if you're talking about eating all kinds of nutritious carbs, and I've been starting to make these super high power vegetable smoothies every morning. So I imagine that my daily carbohydrate intake has risen substantially since I started this new habit, but um, it's hard to argue with, you know, consuming more vegetables being anything but anything but a positive. Yeah, yes, yes, exactly. But like you said, you know, um, if anyone's looking for an out, because Aaron Olson says, you know, don't don't take your carbs down too low and you're pounding, you know, those gels when you're when you're at work, when you've got an afternoon <laughs> lull or whatever, um, that's a little different story than, you know, focusing on a high nutrient value diet with abundant intake of vegetables and selective fruits and good, high, highly nutritious carbs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so how do you like pick your guests for the show and, and strategize the topics to talk about? Do you get a lot of listener feedback and, and so forth? Um, you know, I pick my, every once in a while I'll get an email from someone saying, Hey, I've got this new book out or something that, that, and, uh, it'd be great to talk with you on the show. But a lot of times I don't respond to those because, uh, I'm not big into, I'm not doing it for profit or anything like that, or to help people out. I'm doing it because I'm interested in what you have to say. I've read the book and I think it's fascinating and I want to have you on the show. So I'll reach out to them. Um, so it's just kind of whatever books I've been reading lately, I'll, I'll get in touch with the author and ask them if they want to come on the show. I've had, um, uh, one of the interesting guests on who, who really, uh, isn't into the paleo eating, but he's into more of paleo running was Daniel Lieberman. And he had a lot of interesting research about barefoot running. And so it's not just about diet. It's about the whole, uh, paleo lifestyle. And, um, I just, we, we get on the call and, and try to have an interesting conversation and, and, uh, then I put it up online. It sounds pretty fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, so when did you, uh, when did you finish this book? How long has it been out? I, I finished the book about a month ago and I self-published it to Amazon Kindle. Uh, that was, that was a great experience. It's, it's fun that this day and age, uh, you don't have to use a publisher or ask someone if it's okay to publish a book. I had, <laughs> I had some ideas that I thought would help other people, and I put it out there, packaged packaged it in a book. I wrote it with something called Lean Pub, and I and I put it online, and the response has been great. Um, the first day it was up, it was in the number four in the running and jogging category on Amazon, and. Um, I've heard uh, feedback from from people uh, that saying that they really enjoyed it. So, 
Yeah, why not? Why not share ideas? Don't keep them all to yourself. Yeah, welcome to the modern world. Getting the getting the word out and mixing in with uh, with all the people that'll that'll give you good feedback and you know keep keep progressing, especially progressing away from the dated uh, notions and approaches that for some reason still linger around today, like that um, you know obsessive mileage approach for the runners and. Um, you telling your story of of getting injured and and awakening to um, you know a different approach and then putting up some times, which is really impressive. Um, not not only that they're very fast, but that you you know were able to improve your time with you know a, a, a smarter and more strategic approach to training. That's hard to argue with. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. And you know, I'm I'm interested for uh, you and Mark's book to come out soon. Uh, Give, can you tell us a little bit what what is your guys's approach to the overall volume uh, conundrum? Where if you do too much, you could get injured, but it could possibly be helpful. What kind of a stance do you guys take? <laughs> Listen to Aaron. You you can't help yourself, man. You turn into you go from guest to host seamlessly. <laughs> That's why this podcast is going so well. I I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I think that we're trying to hit the major talking points and the major philosophical. Uh, points and and make a strong convincing argument to you know awaken to um, the reality of what hasn't worked, what's extremely destructive to your health. Um, you know, a, a big concern for me, having having been um, a competitor on the professional triathlon circuit way back when, is a lot of my peers. And now the words coming out, there's just an article on Velo News about the dangers of long term cardiovascular extreme training and it's actually bad for your heart and compromising to your health to push yourself at that level that we've always associated with you know being the fittest guy on the block and the you know the 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 stud triathlete that can go out and do an Ironman or run a marathon and if it's not done properly um and and if the dietary habits don't fall in line with you know highly nutritious high nutrient value diet you're going to compromise your health in pursuit of these hallowed fitness goals. So I think that's kind of a starting point for people to um, have to admit that there's no, there's, no, there's no panacea here against health destruction just because you're putting in the work every day. And in fact, it could be the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to training, I was going to ask you too, like, do you have any, um, is there any place where periodization uh, affects this low mileage running strategy, such as an off season where you're just taking it easy or other times where you are putting in more volume, that kind of thing. You know, that's, that's one thing that I haven't, uh, completely figured out. Um, during the winters here in Minnesota, uh, there's a lot of snow on the ground. So I basically take that opportunity to focus more on my speed. Um, I'm doing a lot of indoor workouts on the treadmill during the winter, so I'll focus more towards the 5K. And then as the snow starts to melt, I'll start to put in some of those longer um, miles, a uh, little bit longer quality workouts uh, and things like that. And that has worked good for me. But I haven't totally figured out the period, periodization approach or even if that's necessary. Um, one of the things for me is I like to keep a high level of fitness year round. So maybe I'm at uh, you know 95% of my fitness capacity uh, but I'm able to keep it up year round. And for me, that's, uh, that's a positive trade-off. Even if I can't maybe get 100% uh, out of some peak race, 
you know, I'm, I'm not an elite athlete. So I'm just in it for the fun. So if I can hit 95% and uh, maintain good fitness year round, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think uh, Phil Maffetone says the same thing, that there's no reason why you can't peak uh, multiple times and all this nonsense about these ultra-long buildups to one peak race. Um, I, I would put that in the um, flawed notion category as well because anytime and that that's a recipe for overtraining is to say well i mentored in the twin cities marathon in 14 weeks time so i'm going to do this crazy 14 week build and be in top top shape you're more likely to get injured before you hit the starting line whereas if you just have sort of a measured approach where you're not overdoing it you're not overloading yourself with oh it's my my high mileage fade so i'm going to slam myself for the next four to six weeks straight you know, those kind of things are what the old timers practiced and didn't succeed very well. And now we're in a situation where, you know, just with some fine tuning, um, you can take, you know, leverage that um, healthy state of uh, being a healthy endurance athlete, which isn't always the case. A lot of times there's overworked, overstressed, overly hectic endurance athlete. But if you're healthy, then you can always tap into a uh, good peak performance, even if you haven't trained perfectly for the previous six weeks leading up to your event. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I think that's, that's a great approach, especially when you're not racing for the money or, or any, uh, or at least most <laughs> people, most people listening to this aren't. And so it also allows you to get in some other fun races during your training. Um, so leading up to this marathon, I'm going to be doing some, uh, 10 Ks and some half marathons. And, uh, it, if, you know, something does end up happening and I, for some reason, do get an injury before the marathon, I've still been able to have fun along the way and enjoy the process. And I I even have a chapter in my book called Race Your Way Into Shape. And I think that racing is one of the best ways of training. Um, You know, our our hunter-gatherers weren't out there practicing to hunt. They just did the hunt and that was their training. And so I think you can use races as part of your training. If you're training for, say, a marathon or half marathon, gradually build up your races, do a 5k, 10k, and then try half. And that, that sort of training can be a lot of fun because you're around other people as well. Right, right. And it also might, um, you might respect it more so that you actually rest before, um, you deliver a race performance and you might, uh, recover better afterwards with the pride and satisfaction that you actually, you know, got another number to pin on the wall and, you know, um, really gave it a peak performance effort inspired by your competitors out there where, you know, a lot of times I hear people say, um, you know, here, here's my hard workout, but I'm, I'm just training through this. I did a pretty hard thing yesterday and this weekend we're going long again. And that's kind of like, um, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of a, um, uh, I believe it fosters some negative habit patterns of just, you know, thinking that you can, um, you know, you can go to the well on a whim rather than, you know, have a high respect for those times when you're, when you're delivering a peak performance effort. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Having that respect for the race um, is, is important. And knowing that it's, it's going to hurt and you, you should rest up a couple of days before. I think it might encourage you to take a, a more re, uh, relaxed approach prior to the race, like you said, as well. Well, it sounds like good stuff, Aaron, and um, I'm happy to uh, tell the listeners to go over to Amazon and check out Low Mileage Runner. Low, I mean, low Mileage Running, a short guide to running faster, 
and injury free. Now you put the word short in there. Is that because you um, do you have a lot of friends that don't read like me or what? Um, well, I don't read that much. I listen to most <laughs> of my books on Audible. Oh, and cool! So yeah, I thought you know I don't it, more more running, less reading. That's my motto. So <laughs> more having fun, less reading. Uh, you can listen to the audio book. It's a 36-minute book. It's $4 to download. You can nice. download the Kindle book and read it in a half hour. So you get the basics, and you'll be able to go out there and start setting PRs. Aaron Olson from Low Mileage Running and the Paleo Runner Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on the Primal Endurance Podcast and look forward to more of your great shows on your channel. Have a great day and good luck in your upcoming marathon, Aaron. Thanks, Brad. All right. Thank you, listeners. It's your host, Brad Kearns. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Primal Endurance Podcast.